If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for being here for another episode of the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. Super pumped today for an extraordinary guest. Her name is Denise, and she's really getting her hands dirty working with not only survivors, but offenders as well. I'm Mary O'Brien, and now Nicole Braddock-Bromley. Denise, you not only work with offenders and have been able to get to the very core of them through some sort of compassion and understanding of what the root is, and that's so important, but you also work with survivors, and I think that's really an interesting thing, and I'm, I'm just interested in hearing from you about you know, maybe how that's, has it helped you with both sides or has it been hard to kind of switch the gears? Yeah, just kind of what that looks like for you. It's been a really interesting journey. Getting into the field was hard Mm -hmm. because I thought the same as everybody else. Uh, These people are gross. They're monsters. They're weird. They should never be getting out. What they did is horrible. I talked a lot about it before I accepted the position with my dad, and it actually was the first time in my adult life that I let God uh, make a decision for me. Mm. And it was this one, and it was odd when I got confirmation that this is what I was going to go ahead and do. And so I said, okay, I justified it as these people are going to be getting out of prison whether we like it or not. So... I'm going to do what I can to minimize the damage that they do and try to make sure that they don't victimize anybody else. Yeah. So that's really the mindset that I stay in more than anything else. The work that I do is for the victims. Well, then I got submerged in the offender world where I'm just talking to them. And eventually in any profession or situation, you become desensitized to a lot of things. And I could talk about this and not have many reactions after a while. Mm -hmm. And that worried me. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to some trainings about victims. And I had a great boss that let me do that. Mm -hmm. And learning more about victims, what they go through in treatment, how to treat with victims and and their experiences and all that stuff actually helped me then become the voice in the room Mm -hmm. of their victim. And it Mm -hmm. very much enhanced what I did because it was no longer just a list of symptoms on a sheet of paper. It became these stories that I can tell them and these people that I met And then I started looking for a curriculum of victims telling their stories and bringing that in the room Mm. because I'm not going to bring an actual victim that doesn't want to. And I've never had a victim volunteer, but Mm -hmm. so I I do that kind of stuff. And the guys get typically get pretty mad at me um, and say that that's torture and that's mean. And I'm just trying to further punish, Mm. but we work through the fact that, you know, some people in this room are victims and 
they have a voice and your victim will always have a voice. And just because you don't want to talk about it because you're embarrassed, they don't want to talk about it because they're embarrassed. Right. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a lot of similarities here. Absolutely. I think that's really good. Even for, you know, all of our listeners who are survivors to hear kind of what that experience looks like to know that, you know, there's someone like you that takes these guys into a room and, and shares a victim's perspective and and makes them look at what they've done and the effects that it has on a life, the rest of their life. I think that can be, I hope it is, you know, bringing a little bit of comfort or at least understanding that something's being done, that there are people out there that are being our voice to those who've caused us this pain. Uh, I think that's really great. And I remember when I first met you, it was after a conference in Indiana when I was speaking mostly, I think, to therapists who work specifically with offenders. And I remember you beelined it to my book table after I was done. And just you were so grateful for hearing the victim perspective. And I'll tell you, anytime I walk into those conferences, I always feel weird because I know that the victim's voice is not heard much with these therapists. And yeah, I felt so seen and appreciated by you, um, just the way that you responded. And I can see that it's because you use the victim's story and their voice and their hurts in your practice. I think that's really powerful. Well, I guess, you know, I also wanted to share with you how how much I could feel your nervousness mm. in a way. And I was I was so weird. I hadn't even met you yet at that point. And yet I was sitting back there. I was so proud of you. Mm. And I was just rooting for you mm. for being able to stand in front of all these people that you don't know. And some are parole agents. And I love the parole agents I work with, but they don't have a lot of empathy. They're not therapists and they're kind of wandering around or they're on their phones. And I just wanted to walk around the room and slap people on the back of the head and (laughs) tell them to pay attention and they're being disrespectful. I was just like, I can't believe that she's up here telling us as much as she is. And yeah, I was just kind of in awe of, 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 of your voice, literally, of you being able to do that and just wanted to let you know that it's not lost on this population. I figured it had to be weird because you weren't talking to a lot of victims. but mm-hmm. Or Nicole, even victim advocates, you, you know? <laughs> true. Yeah. But, you know, in the last two, three years of my work and including a few more since that conference, because of that conference, because it was Victim Awareness Month, I'm having people in the field that I work with, parole agents, probation officers, things of those nature, coming to me and telling me about their victimization. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, you being able to talk about it in a strong way, because the, the reason why these people don't talk about it is because they're in the field mm. and they say, if they were disclosed that they're a victim, Everybody around them is going to say, well, you can't work objectively with this population. And any decision that they make about the offender is going to be met with, Mm. I don't know, you were a victim. So Mm. maybe we need to reconsider another option. Wow. I've seen stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I know exactly that we are hard judging each other on how we deal with this population. And I've seen people be inappropriate as a result 
of their own victimization mm-hmm. because they just want to punish these guys, mm-hmm. which I get. Sure. I get it. But as a result of you doing that, you also have to remember how the, how many other victims were in the room, even if they didn't want to talk about they were a victim. Mm-hmm. That really did help. Yeah. Well, it was amazing to me. I remember many of them coming to the table and almost whispering, me too. Aww. Mm-hmm. Aww. Mm-hmm. And so that meant a lot. And it made me feel like it was it was a hard room to speak in. But it was yeah. because there were so many secrets that hadn't oh, been told. God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a reminder to me of, you know, so many people in the helping profession or even the justice system are carrying this wound. It's such a common wound. So much sexual abuse has happened in our world and people are still trying to find their voice. And some, and many of us, you know, it has turned into our purpose to, to stop it from happening, but we still haven't even worked on the healing ourselves yet. Um, and I, yeah. you know, it's my hope and prayer that people could do this good hard work, but still be doing their own self-care on the side. And, you know, I'm glad to hear exactly. that some of them were opening up to you. Hopefully they'll sign up for counseling with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, believe me, I've donated a, anybody that's ever come up in the field. I have whether it's weird boundaries or not because of us working together, I always make myself available and give my cell phone and, hey, anytime, you know, a drink after work, you know, come by during lunch, you know, whenever you need because wow. I, I definitely don't want anybody to feel embarrassed or ashamed for anything that they've gone through. Mm-hmm. That's not their fault. Mm-hmm. And Right. And then that it could affect their work in a negative way. I think, you know, just having someone like that, someone like you, that's a safe place that gets gets it, (laughs) you know, but that they can go to you and just kind of release some things. And I think for many people, I know for me, you just need that person. And sometimes it just takes a few minutes and then you're good to go. And now you're back out on the battlefield, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm yeah. grateful that these people have done that. So I know you've, you've talked a lot, um, at other conferences and such. Um, mm-hmm. so I wanted to get just, you know, some of the things that you're passionate about this in this field, when you're talking with other therapists, um, just educating them, training them, what are the main things that you enjoy talking about? What are you passionate about? It's a really good question. I think you were speaking. I think you were speaking soon after the conference I saw you at. And I don't remember what you were going to be talking about. But I was talking about treatment on the outside and what treatment for sex offenders looks like Mm -hmm. and about why some of the treatment rules are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to things that I'm really, really passionate about, I think it's going to sound weird. It's not so much a topic as much as it is breaking through to the next layer. Oh, wow. I think so many people in my field stay very surface mm-hmm. because of all the boundaries they put up to do what they do. Mm-hmm. But very rarely do we think beyond the first layer. Mm-hmm. And also with people that come up to me in public and if we're just shooting the shit in line at Target and they specifically push for what I do, even when I say, oh, I'm a therapist, but they start pushing (laughs) and I say, okay, well, I work with sex offenders and then, whoa, a big old 
line of questions come out, I think that I also like to kind of push them beyond the surface of what they think I do or mm-hmm. what they think these people are like mm-hmm. or what they think a victim is mm-hmm. um, beyond the stereotypes, beyond the really quick responses that come out of everybody's mouth, uh, beyond just the surface program stuff that we all have, you know, to really think about things. That's what I get passionate about. Mm. So when you're talking about kind of going to the deeper layer, are you saying for the most part, most therapists are just trying to manage these people and just keep kids safe. But you're saying I want to go to a deeper layer, like, change or what does that yeah. what does that look like what does that mean you know yeah i i think that in the years that i've done this uh i was programmed a particular way when i came into this field mm. um in 2001 when i started working with sex offenders i was programmed to believe they are monsters they are manip- and this is by the people i worked with um they're going to take advantage of you at any given moment. Uh, any show of kindness or vulnerability is a manipulation attempt to uh, get something from you. They're, they're just going to try to always get you. You always have to have your guard up and you always have to remind them who they are Yeah. and put them in their place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just kind of how a lot of people in this field thought. Treatment was punitive. Mm -hmm. It was part of their punishment. And there was a big movement in ATSA, the Association for the Treatment Providers of Sexual Abusers. It's a Mm -hmm. worldwide thing. And I would go to their conferences when it's in the United States. And a long time ago, these people said, hey, treatment shouldn't be punitive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us were like, ha, 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 you're going to be so taken advantage of. We feel sorry for you. And, you know, five, six years later, they start becoming main speakers at ATSA and they're talking to us, kind of a wake-up call of, hey, you're treatment providers. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if you sit there and belittle somebody and make them feel like shit all the time, do you think they're really going to value anything that you're telling them they have to do or change? Right. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. You're actually making these people more damaged mm-hmm. and possibly more dangerous. Yeah. And you're not changing. No, you're, you're feeding really, the lies that they believe already about yeah. themselves. Or it could be true, but you're feeding into all the negativity rather than looking beneath right. the surface and maybe calling the good out in someone if there is any in there. <laughs> Exactly. And if somebody feels like, you know, this is all I am, and my therapist Mm -hmm. is even telling me, you know, making me say these things that are, you know, very harsh about myself and and own that as this is who I am, Mm -hmm. why should I change? I should just continue doing what I'm doing because I can't change. Mm -hmm. And that was a big wake up call for me. But I think that there's I think the states are very different. When I go to conferences and I, I, I hear treatment providers in other states, treatment pro- programs are so different wherever you go. And, and just my experience in Indiana mm-hmm. is we've, we've been a little stuck in the way that we've done things. And I, I want to push 
the envelope a little bit to be like, you know what, eventually we're going to have to let people have internet. Um, hey, let's look at some of these rules that we have and why are these rules and what do they do? And some of that didn't happen until I was at other conferences talking to other therapists about their programs. Mm. And they're like, yeah, our guys are on the internet. And I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, our guys are on dating sites. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. And they started saying, well, where's the research behind that being bad? Mm. And I was like, well, we just don't do it that way. (laughs) So. Yeah. I think that I think as a symptom of this continuing to just kind of hold on to the old times to me makes me think that there's not a lot of people pushing below the surface of are my results really working or am I just replicating what everybody's been doing because this is how we do the work and then we go home and this is how I live my life and then the next day I get up and this is how I do my work. You know, is it just become automated yeah and, and that makes sense to, well easy. you gotta think about yeah you gotta think outside the box you know our world is changing every day and i think it's, yeah. it's really good to kind of you know be progressive and in, in the way that you're treating people but especially thinking about you know every case is different there are a lot of guys out yeah. there i would not ever want to know that they are on a dating site <laughs> you know but then every Agreed. case is different Agreed. yeah um, to where you have to have a good therapist who isn't just a robot. And like you said, right. working and looking beneath the surface, going a level deeper with these people because they all have a one life to live like we do. And so I appreciate yeah. that. I think I'm, I just really respect the your approach and, and the way you think and your heart behind mm-hmm. it all. And I'm wondering what, what got you into this field? You know, is there something in your story that, that caused you to have a heart or... And maybe you don't want to share that, um, um, but I am always intrigued by people who who tend to, you know, have such a heart for victims, but also are willing to go to that next level with offenders. It's a unique individual. <laughs> my my real story uh, is I and I tell people I was tricked. <laughs> I was tricked into this position. Mm-hmm. Um, And I say that because they advertised for a counseling assistant with a specialized population. Mm. Oh. And And you're like, I want to do special stuff. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. That sounds so cool. Yeah. And I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. and there were personal reasons I, I was wanting to leave and get out of the state. And, I answered some ads in a paper uh, up in Indianapolis and had some callbacks. And this one led to a couple of callbacks. And uh, it was probably not the third conversation on the phone where I found out it was sex offenders. And I think they Mm -hmm. purposefully kind of linked me in and were hazing me along the way to see if I could handle that information. And then, uh, they told me the specialized population was in prison. So I just thought I was going to be a therapist in prison. And of course, at that time, I wanted to be an FBI profiler like everybody else, because that's the coolest job ever. And was like, <laughs> yes, I want to work in prison. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, it's with convicted sex offenders in prison. And that's when I went, I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> I need no to doubt. think about it. No doubt. <laughs> oh, heavy. 
yeah, that's a good way to stop a conversation. Um, right. So there was some soul searching. And when I say that God made the decision, um, I wanted to get out of Knoxville so bad at that point that I think I was just kind of like, I don't know which is going to be worse for me. I don't know which is going to be harder for me if I were to stay here longer or Mm. if I were to take that and deal with that. And Mm. I was like, you know what? I can try that out because I'll be in prison where it's protected and I'll have guards all around me. And I didn't know what prison life was going to be like. I'm picturing they've got all these guns and dogs and chains and I'm going to be, you know, completely protected. Right. So, you know, I'm picturing like Silence of the Lambs kind of stuff where they're behind cells. Yeah, really. Okay, I can do that. I'll be fine, you know. And that started the journey. I don't know if that's a interesting story or not. It's just, that's what happened. I don't think I ever wanted to work with them. I don't think it was ever something I thought I would do or wanted to. I never had the desire. Did you set out to work with victims? When I was little, I always wanted to be a therapist, and I always wanted to be a child psychologist. Hmm. I don't know if it was specifically for victims, but as a kid, I definitely wanted to work with other kids. Yeah. And then hmm. now, uh, when I talked to you after, the, after you spoke, and I came over to your table, and we, we started talking a while, I told you that I've started my own business, just a, a baby at this point. I've got a name. I'm working on a website. But my goal is called uh, Be the Light. And what I want to do now is I want to transition away from direct offender work into working with people that work in these difficult situations where you're working around a lot of trauma and you're becoming victimized by the kind of work that you're doing. And how do you handle that? And what do you do with that? Yes. So that's where I'm trying to use a lot of my experience personally and professionally to go towards something a little more positive to hit that next layer mm. of self-care and let's look a little deeper and how can we care about these people without feeling like we're doing something wrong and yeah. how can we take care of ourselves, you know, in the process because it's, it tears at your soul to hear some of this stuff. It sure and does. What and- do you do with that? You know, Mary and I have a nonprofit. It's called One Voice for Freedom, where a big part of our job is supporting those who are working on the front lines with sex trafficking victims or even stopping it. And so, you know, we do a lot of that ourselves, but it's just so important to me to care for survivor leaders who are you know, doing this hard work, but they've got their own stories. And it's so easy to get triggered in your work or just to be so overwhelmed by all the stories you're hearing. And I've, I've noticed lately that, you know, part of my coping and being able to do a good job at what I do is I don't absorb all of these stories that I hear. And I think it's a learned technique that's kept me in the game for 16 years. But also there are things that come up 
and can be completely triggering. And I need to have my people or my self-care techniques. I need to know what they are and go to them. But I also want to make those available to other survivor leaders who are out there doing this hard work. But so often these leaders, these advocates, um, you know, people working in the justice system, suddenly they'll be taken out of the game, you know, or before you know it, you know, some of our, many of our good friends have, you know, unexpectedly OD'd, you know, and you didn't expect it, but you do expect it because if you don't have the right things in place around you, we're all two or three days, bad days away from something horrible. You know, I just posted on my social media last night just because I carry it so well doesn't mean it's not heavy. I think that's how it is for all of us. It may look really good on the outside and people might say, oh, you're doing such great work, but it doesn't mean this work isn't heavy and hard. It doesn't mean that we can't easily be triggered. So I love this idea of be the light. I think it's amazing. I think it's so, so needed. You know, the ways that we've been able to help is, you know, we'll put on a a party for a staff at a safe house or something or or just bring gifts or bring a hot meal and just let them know like we see the girls you're taking care of but we see you too and we know that you are are needed in their lives because a lot of times they'll tell us you know people always do great things for our clients but no one ever does anything for us (laughs) you know but so that has been really important i've i that has stuck with me so long as we continue to do pamper parties through One Voice for Freedom that we also Aww. want to dote on those who are caring for these women. So I don't know. What are some of the things that you feel are really important for self-care? What are the things that you are high, want to highlight with this new um, mission that you're on? First, I want to give permission. I want to give people permission to feel what they feel. I think that's the start of, I think so many people are, are just wrestling with trying to mm-hmm. shut it down, shut it down, yeah. not deal with it, wall it off. Yeah. This isn't okay. This makes me weak, whatever. And just What will people, people think about me if they know that I have a, yeah. a limp? And is this going to make me all of a sudden become incompetent to everybody around me? And I've heard some people say, if, if I talk about it, I'm going to fall apart, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, let's let's talk about that. What does that look like? <laughs> They're like, but I don't apart? want to fall apart, Denise. <laughs> right. So I think that's part of it is just, hey, guess what? This is real and yeah. illogical to expect anybody to listen to this all day long or even once a week or even once in a while and not be affected. If you're not affected by this information, then maybe you shouldn't be in this field because you need to be affected. Right. Yeah. That's good. We -hmm. need to understand this is, this is heavy stuff. And if we are able to not feel anything about it, then I'm worried about you and we need to talk some more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So putting that part out there and then once you make them aware that this is okay and okay, I'm going to start feeling this, but what do I do when I start feeling this? It's like, um, well, before you start breaking your walls down, let's make sure we've got life preservers around you. Mm -hmm. You know, where are you at with your spirituality? Mm -hmm. Um, I push that with everybody around me, even my clients. I don't push Christianity, even though I have a cross on my neck and I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to use that as a barrier against me. Oh, she's a big 
you know, Jesus thumper and she doesn't understand me because I'm different. And so I can't listen to her. Mm -hmm. So I just say, no, I'm not pushing one religion, but you need to have Mm -hmm. a foundation to go to a map work of rules and directions. And, you know, this is what you're supposed to do in this situation that's beyond you. You can't be the ruler of your life. Mm -hmm. So that's important. Get that foundation because you're going to need that when you fall apart. And you need to get some people within your foundation and your spirituality around you and let them know this is, um, I'm struggling a little bit. I need some support and I have good days and bad days. And can I call you when I have a bad day? And then you just start opening up a little bit more to people around you. And then you start letting yourself feel things and then put a whole lot of self-care in there. I've got great people around me. I have amazing family. I have an amazing man in my life. I have, you know, great professional mentors and, Mm. you know, people that I can talk to at any moment and who do this too. And that helps me. And I vent Mm -hmm. and I have a twisted sense of humor. (laughs) And then I like to come home and get in the ground. I like to do gardening. I like to mow my lawn. And I just make sure Mm. throughout all of this that I guess the biggest thing is I'm staying very genuine yeah. and I tell my guys sometimes I'll, I'll come into group to my clients and say, I just had a client pass away last night and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of somber today. So just want to let you know, if I look weird, that's kind of where I'm at. Mm. And they appreciate the fact that I let them know that I'm a human being and today I'm a little different yeah. and today I'm, I'm doing a little different self-care. Yeah. And so I think a lot of that, you know, being honest to yourself and being true and having a foundation and having support people, I think all that is just very, very important. And I have a lot of people in the field that don't have families or spouses or children or things, and they're kind of up here by themselves. Well, why can't we rely on each other? Mm. That's what we're here for. You know, let's make some camaraderie here. Absolutely. I think that's really helpful because all of those things are so important. You know, just as you're going through your own healing journey, it's important. But then on top of it, if you're also in some sort of a leadership or advocate role, um, you know, where people are looking to you and sometimes we feel like we can't show our wounding or, you know, have a bad day and we all are going to have those days. So. We have to have things in place around us to make sure that we're not out there alone trying to figure this all out. And that can make the world a difference. And then also to have those little hobbies that ground you, you know, like you mentioned, I think all of those things are really helpful. And um, it seems easy. You know, you can talk about how it is for you and how you have these things in place. And that just sounds like a normal person's life. But a lot of people don't have that. They don't have their go-tos. And so when something goes wrong, when they're triggered, they can end up in their closet. And that's when bad things happen, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, my my spirituality has definitely been my saving grace. Mm -hmm. And my beliefs have definitely been how I've been able to continue this work. Mm -hmm. And there were many times that I became so overwhelmed and broken that I, I... felt like I had to bail and I had to get out and this was too much. Mm. And I even referenced myself as the garbage disposal of evil. I mean, mm. I've even been angry at God 
why, why, why is this my talent? Of yeah. all the damn talents of the world, why did I get working <laughs> with sex offenders? Right. What is that all about? You know, and mm. that's why I'm allowed to say curse words. <laughs> that's but, right. <laughs> Duh. That's why you're allowed. <laughs> right. <laughs> But my spirituality then becomes my saving grace because when I don't know what to do with this information, uh, I just surrender it and I pray for people, uh, whether they realize it or not. And interestingly enough, for the first time in 18 years, uh, I prayed with a client last week and he asked me to at the end of our individual session. And I said, absolutely. It was weird. I don't even know what it sounded like because I was like, this is weird. But I did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. And again, I think it's important for people in self-care to first start with your spirituality, no matter what it is, Mm -hmm. and map out what your beliefs or philosophies are, or what your doctrine says, or whatever it is you're following, get that down. So you can start following some of that, not just going off of your own gut instinct of what you're supposed to be doing, and it will help you in your journey of handling things that seem like it's way too much. Mm. Are there anything that any maybe signs or warnings or situations where you would maybe have somebody talking to you about things are really hard and finally opening up, like things aren't good, where you would actually say, I think you do need to take a little bit of time off. I think you do need to get out of the game for a little bit for a season, you know, rather than just like, okay, you need community, you need your spirituality, you need your safe person, you need your hobbies and your grounding techniques or your breathing or your counseling, you know, to get you through it, to keep in the game. Are there times that you would like specific ones where you would say, all right, this is a time when let's really talk about a sabbatical. (laughs) I think it is how pervasive it is in that person's life, their level of unhappiness. Mm -hmm. If they have reached a point where um, they're crying frequently Uh or they are crying when they're talking to me and it's so overwhelming and they feel a sense of hopelessness, Mm. absolutely. Mm. Then your cup is completely empty. You are depleted. Yeah. We got to talk about what you can do. Mm. And, I have been there with, and I have had those conversations with my bosses and I've been there a lot, Yeah, <laughs> to be honest. And mm. it looks different. Sometimes it's, let's look at uh, changing positions to not have as much direct contact. And that has happened to me mm. um, when I got removed from a prison and put into a different position for a while because you know, of where I was at and some things that I was dealing with. And when that happens now, I try to make some alterations with what I'm doing. You know what? Today is a video week. I'm showing a video in all my groups because Mm -hmm. I hate everybody and I have nothing nice to say and I hate the world. And so Mm -hmm. I'm giving myself a vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In school and it's movie week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's healthy though. Self-awareness. It's oh, like yeah. that changes your perspective on so yeah, much sure. when you can finally grasp that. And like you said earlier, give yourself permission. It's a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been some projects that I've taken myself off of. So there might be some ways to tweak things and we can talk about tweaking things at work and how to get some a distance while you're doing self-care. 
But yeah, I know of a few people that have gotten out. Not that I've told them they had to. It was definitely their decision. But, yeah. you know, I did talk to them about this is killing you and mm-hmm. I'm really worried about you. And eventually they were like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I need to go do something else and just be happy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, amen for you. Well, and and there's a... a reference. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my gosh. I just think you're such a great cheerleader for all of us. Like, <laughs> yes, I just I don't know. I met you once and I just love you. Anyway, I. <laughs> well, I think, too, for a lot of us who are survivors and then are in these leadership roles, it's hard to be told that it's time for you to kind of hang it up for a little bit, too. So. I can see how yeah. you would be really good at allowing another person to to have their own permission, you know, that you would not, yeah. you know what I mean? So that it's their choice to finally say, fuck this shit. Like, if you're saying fuck yeah. this shit for them, it's not going to go yeah. over well. But if you're saying, once you're ready to say fuck this shit, then, <laughs> then it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what? But it's about the control. You always get a smile. Uh-huh. At the very least, whenever you say "fuck this shit" for somebody, you always get a smile. We're <laughs> so glad that, you say it for them. Yes, that's what we're going for. Yes. <laughs> Woo! I'm going to label this podcast FTS. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is good. Yes. Yep. I love that's what I'm going to be known for. (laughs) I feel better already just hearing it, laughing, letting it out. It feels cathartic. It is. is. Oh, Denise, you are a treasure. Thank you. Yes. I try to be. (laughs) I feel very blessed and I feel very happy with myself. And I am so excited about my own journey in life. Mm -hmm. And I want other people to be excited about themselves Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. feel good about themselves. So, yeah, I I would say that is also part of my story of why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I want to change into another direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's also the same explanation as to why so many of us survivors end up studying psychology, you know, so I, I totally track with you and that, you know, that desire to learn more and all of that. But obviously... You've got your your spirituality and your grounding and your people in place that have made you so effective. And I'm just, I'm glad you're out there doing this work. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This definitely is a, a weird gift to have, but hey, <laughs> yes. I'll do it. Well, there's not many people who can. So, we, yeah. you know, I'm grateful that you're willing to step into that hard role because it's so very needed in our world. So When you talk to other people that mm-hmm. kind of are in similar, just out of curiosity, what kind of personalities or do you see anything kind of overarching? You've been a lot more traveled than I have with talking with people in a lot of different places. Do you get a feeling that there's a a level of distance that people use or do you feel, mm. what do you think is kind of going out there with other leaders? Specifically with those working with offenders? Yeah. Have you had much mm-hmm. with those that are are working with offenders? I've yeah, just in the last year and a half, I've begun speaking at the ATSA conferences, the the regional ones. Oh yeah. Um, so that's okay. been yeah, it's been a real treat to kind of get involved in in that world. But it is fresh for me. 
but I've noticed, I just spoke at the New York one um, at the end of May, Ooh. and mm-hmm. it was the same situation where I was so stinking nervous. And just because I know they they don't have victim perspectives. You know, they are there three yeah. hard, grueling, intensive days hearing great teaching, but it's all in their field. And then they ended yeah. the, the three-day conference with my story and you know, it was a lot of the same things you're kind of saying of like, this is why we are doing this. This is the reminder we need to keep us going because it is in the end all about preventing this from happening to another little Nicole or another little Mary or another little Denise, right? And so I think that that's what brings them back. There becomes this distance and this walking through this robotic sort of therapy and but then once you hear a real story, it, it, that's what I'm hearing is that's what I needed to get back to where I started, why I started this in the first place, why I was doing this. So it it becomes more of like a flesh and blood kind of work, you know, rather than you break through that layer, mm-hmm. you take it to the next layer. That's, that's exact, exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm helping them do. It's from helping you do it's You know, I can't do the work you're doing or all of these other amazing therapists. But if I can lend my story to at least, you know, help people remember why we started in the first place and what the real point is that, you know, I'm grateful to just be a spark plug for all of you amazing people. So absolutely. So thank you for Good. your time. This is awesome. I'm really looking forward to sharing this with all of our people. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yep. And if there's anything I can ever do for you or any of your listeners or anybody else mm-hmm. that you've ever come in contact with, I would love to help okay. other people kind of keep mm-hmm. their keep their lights going as well. Okay. We'll start sending them your way. <laughs> there's lots of them. <laughs> it's a three hour drive that's west. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you'll find her. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Denise. Thank you. Bless you. Thanks, and just enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. You guys have a blessed one yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked. Even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.